brand spanking new podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams. As of this glorious Monday morning, the Patriots release Antonio Brown because of artistic differences. The emperor of the now-deceased Big Baller brand franchise calls his firstborn child damaged goods. And a wrestling referee gets banned for hair discrimination. But we begin with the three most important things that rocked our world and changed our perspective over the past seven days, or more specifically, the best of last week. First, there was a major shakeup in the college football rankings this weekend as three top 15 teams, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Utah, all lost crucial games that made their road to the college football playoff as impossible as being able to breathe through your mouth while sticking your tongue out. Now please, everybody, put your tongues back in your mouth as we all just saw you try to French kiss the open air. But hear me out about how college football this weekend evolved. Nobody likes an L on their record, but Notre Dame's wasn't as damaging to their resume as it was on the road between the hedges to the number three team in the country. The Michigan and Utah games, however, are terrible barbecue stains on their white t-shirts that cause many college football critics begin to question the relevancy of both programs. Utah lost a close contest on the road to USC's third-string quarterback in a game that entering the final four minutes of play, the Trojans had a total of six rushing yards. Yes, that's right, six, or the number of wives someone is legally allowed to have in the Colorado city limits. Michigan, on the other hand, was humiliated at Camp Randall to the Wisconsin Badgers 35-14, where they themselves could not run the ball, finishing the game with a total of 40 rushing yards altogether. The loss adds another scarlet mark on the resume of Jim Harbaugh, who, just for perspective as Michigan's sideline general, is 1-9 versus top 10 opponents, 0-7 as an underdog, 1-6 on the road versus ranked opponents, and 0-4 against The Ohio State University. The problem facing both Michigan and Utah is that their fan bases are both struggling under the delusion of what South Park farces is eating the member berries. And for those not addicted to basic cable cartoons pushing political agendas, member berries, or those tasty morsels of organic nostalgia, represent a way of thinking where rather than living in the moment, individuals figuratively eating these purple figments will just close their eyes and soak in all the glory days before Britney Spears shaved her head. Ooh, remember Chewbacca? Remember Jurassic Park? Remember Reagan? Ooh, I remember. That is the sheltered mentality Michigan and Utah fans have been living under for the last 20 years. Ooh, remember when we beat Bama in the Sugar Bowl in 09? Remember Bo Schembechler? Ooh, remember being national champs in 97? Ooh, I remember. Yes, we all remember. But remember the 20-point home loss to Arizona State last season? Remember 62-39 at Ohio State? Remember Appalachian State? The reality is, neither team has done anything really relevant in the past 10 years, let alone in the entire age range of Generation Z. But hey, you keep membering those sweet times. Second, as great as it is to have football in its fullest form, there is one interesting trend developing both in college and in the big leagues, and that is the astronomical rise in penalties. As of week three in the NFL, penalties have increased by 16%, with holding penalties being called an outrageous 66% more as well. College has also seen an increase on their fields, with a prime example being the previously mentioned USC-Utah game at the Coliseum, where teams combined for 27 penalties. These numbers may call you to question what is driving the motion of a referee's hand tossing the yellow flag. Could it be that perhaps players are actually cutting corners and holding on to each other's jerseys for extended periods of time? Could it be that both the NCAA and NFL are deciding to play hardball and crack down on the number of players committing what many consider to be legal acts? Could it be that research shows that there is a direct correlation between a higher number of penalties and lower diagnosed cases of brain trauma? Very good questions. Now you may say, is that recent study real? And my response is, no, I just made that up. 
Don't believe everything people tell you just because they open with the line, research shows. No, the real reason that penalties may be up, and hear me out, all stems back to a guilty pleasure we all enjoy every Monday night, The Bachelor. Think about it. The purpose of The Bachelor franchise is to generate screen time for potential Hollywood hopefuls looking to jumpstart their careers in the spotlight. Don't give me The Bachelor is all about lost souls looking for lifetime partners to join them on their romantic journeys. They're all looking for as much egotistical attention known to mankind. They all want the glory and all of the possible screen time that they can get, even if reason and common sense get shotgunned into oblivion. Come on, Kaylin. He broke your heart. You wanted someone serious. He played you. We all saw the text. You did Blake dirty. Now, you may say, why are you referencing a show where people's goal is making sweet love in the fantasy suite, which in all reality is as sanitary as a Motel 6 in Philadelphia? I propose that officiating crews in both college football and the NFL have a lifetime goal of being contestants on The Bachelor, and in their minds, throwing those penalty flags is the quickest way of getting to JoJo's heart. Think about it. Whenever a penalty is called, there is a break in the game and the camera shifts directly to the attention of the lead official, where he enjoys his 15 seconds of fame and dictates what will happen next. The more flags are thrown, the more times he is on camera, and so on and so on. Now you may say, Brock, that's crazy. Football penalties and bachelor ratings have no relationship whatsoever. Call me a conspiracy theorist all you will. But don't be surprised when Ed Hockley, Gene Steratore, or any other 60-year-old zebra with a whistle steps out of the limo next season. And finally, the NBA Board of Governors announced on Friday that they unanimously approved stricter tampering measures that will be enforced to ensure NBA teams will give each other a more fair playing field when it comes to courting potential free agents every summer. Essentially, the NBA wants to make sure no tampering, courting, or wooing will be done before the free agency period opens each year. Teams may only woo after the market opens. No premature wooing. Now, you may remember the jaw-dropping $3 billion that was unloaded on NBA players in the first 24 hours that free agency opened this past June 30th. In all reality, that record number of contract value was great for the league as it promotes its entrepreneurial spirit. But it was also eye-rolling in the sense that everybody knows these deals were discussed way before the NBA said they were legal. At the press conference announcing these changes, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver said, quote, The ultimate goal here is to ensure compliance and to ensure that there's that appropriate tension that exists at the team. So there is sort of significant threat that if a team doesn't comply, that there will be consequences. While Silver may say that he wants to crack down on tampering and have the free agency process be more professional and less dramatic, we all know that he revels in the soap opera antics players and teams dance around every summer. Don't try and hide it, Adam. You were all about the drama instigated by all of these quote-unquote secret meetings between agents and teams. Come on, your Tinder profile bio, it says your favorite movie is Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, which is conveniently listed under the phrase, My Other Car is a Kia Sorento. In addition, Silver stated that teams will be subject to random audits of their communication records, and if found guilty of tampering, could receive penalties as large as $10 million which to franchises such as the Lakers, Clippers, and Rockets, none of which did any tampering whatsoever this offseason and have franchise values well into the multi-billion dollar plateaus, $10 million is meh. It's the equivalent of Kevin Costner giving an Oscar-worthy performance in Waterworld 2. It's meaningless. We all saw that post-apocalyptic version of SeaWorld you created in 1995. Any sequel you make after that film is outright pointless. The real question we all now ask is, what will change in the upcoming seasons because of this groundbreaking legislation in the NBA? And the honest answer is, nothing. 
We now shift to what matters this week, which comically begins with the phrase, at least we're not the Miami Dolphins, which is very similar to the phrase, at least we don't live in Detroit, Michigan. Interestingly enough, that phrase is 99.95% accurate. Aside from being the birthplace of ginger ale and the Slim Shady LP, there is absolutely nothing good about that place whatsoever. Everything is worse in Detroit. Even infomercials, the worst form of public advertising known to man, refuse to be broadcast on modern television in Detroit. Think about it. Residents in the 313 have never heard of the shake weight, OxyClean, Proactive, or P90X because marketers refuse to be aired there. It's hard to comprehend that Detroit is so bad, no one in its boundaries has ever had the privilege of wearing a Snuggie in the bleachers at their family softball game. As much fun as it would be to unpack the pitfalls of the state of Michigan, the focus of this episode will be on one of the most pathetic trends in modern professional sports. Something far worse than kneeling Tebow, fidget spinners, and jean shorts, or what contractions call jorts, all wrapped up with a rhinestone-studded choker. Yes, I'm referring to the topic of tanking, or caring more about losing than winning, which in reality is the antithesis of sports altogether. It's like saying to your spouse in your wedding vows that your greatest childhood dreams were to be sitting in the law office of Bob Loblaw arguing over who gets custody of your seven-year-old cat Bernard, which, if I remember correctly, was one of the lines Matt actually said to Amber on the latest season of Married at First Sight. Don't be shocked they didn't stay together. We could all see that from a mile away. Tanking has become a trendy topic in recent headlines as the front offices of some professional teams decide that rather than be a middle-of-the-pack competitor working through the struggles and challenges of climbing the hard road to the top of the mountain, they will instead instill a mentality of losing in order to have the next team prodigy conveniently land in their front office. This is not something that's inherently new, as this has been around for ages, most notably in the NBA. In fact, one of the mission statements of the Cleveland Cavaliers front office explicitly states, our team will not stand for mediocrity. Instead, we will force our players to be bad at least one of their five seasons here. That will ensure us at least one number one draft pick every half decade. We will not be mediocre. One of the current tanking trends this season is the Miami Dolphins, who before the season began had already requested to have their team motto, Tank for Tua, be copyrighted by the U.S. Patent Office. Luckily, they along with LeBron James were denied that privilege. Come on, LBJ. We all know you're not the genius behind the phrase Taco Tuesday. You've been too busy challenging the cartoon monsters or rematches with Anthony Davis to come up with that witty label. Everyone knows Del Taco is the mastermind behind that enterprise. For the record, your team motto should not be Tank for Tua this season. That's like walking into AT&T and seeing the words suck until Verizon comes out with 6G LTE coverage and then just ride their coattails into mediocre technology forefronts you're not going to see that mentality existing in the commercial or professional world. Businesses won't just be horrible until something better conveniently becomes available. Why do you think places like Sears, JCPenney, or even Blockbuster failed? Because their mentality was just be awful until something great falls in our lap. Which, in Blockbuster's case, something great did fall into their lap. It was called Netflix which they snootily rejected, resulting in the bankruptcy of their corporation and obliteration of their franchise. In fact, and this is true, the only known item of value still owned by that corporation is the sweaty jockstrap Russell Crowe wore in the movie Cinderella Man, which was donated to them by John Oliver as the final blockbuster in existence was on the verge of closing its doors forever. That's the legacy that will be emblazoned on Blockbuster's tombstone. Here lies the dim-witted owners of Russell Crowe's boxing underwear. 
The Dolphins are tanking because in their minds, Tua will be a modern-day Moses and lead them to the promised land, which that phrase is ridiculous because while Moses did leave the Hebrews out of Egypt, he also did in fact have them circle around the Saudi Arabian desert eating glorified bird poop for 40 years. Come on, Moses, quit being stubborn and just download Uber for crying out loud. While Tua may have the body and the pedigree of an NFL quarterback, as well as stem from the brain of one of the greatest coaches in college football history, there is no certainty that he will lead the Dolphins back to the glory days of an undefeated 72 squad or Ray Finkel missing game-winning field goals. The laces were in, Dan. While this approach sounds foolish, the Dolphins may believe in it because of terrible teams that have tanked their way to greatness in other sports. More notably, that being the Philadelphia 76ers, a team that tried to coin the phrase, trust the process, which is the watered-down version of the phrase, suck for draft picks. General Manager Sam Hinkie engineered the mentality of losing in Philadelphia, asking fans and media members to be patient and just trust the process. Guys, don't be mad about the 50-point beatdown we just watched before our eyes, or the fact that we just put the head of our janitorial crew in the starting lineup, because every loss we acquire means just one more ping-pong ball in the draft lottery this year. Trust the process. Trust the process in Philly netted them four top three draft picks, two of which were back-to-back number one picks in 2016 and 2017. Interestingly enough, the results show that the Sixers were incompetent in scouting out players as two of the four, Markel Fultz and Jahil Okafor, turned out to be busts, and their prodigies, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, have glaring red flags attached to their bios. Embiid can't stay healthy longer than 20 games at a time, and no one has explained to Ben Simmons what an actual jump shot is. While the Sixers have made tanking trendy, it does not ensure that teams will be elevated to greatness overnight. And that is the problem the Miami Dolphins are facing this season as they get obliterated week in and week out. They want to suck. They need to suck. They are banking on being worse than the plot line of the show Two Broke Girls, hoping that an athletic phenom will take them back to glory. But the reality is, that is a cheap way to achieve something great in this life. And it should not be the way that we teach people how to succeed in the modern world. Which brings us to this. One of the most iconic characters in modern TV history is a short, overweight, balding, middle-aged man who lives with his parents in Queens. Yes, I'm talking about the lovable loser George Costanza, a man whose hallmark moments include taking naps underneath his desk at Yankee Stadium, lying to a woman about being a marine biologist, and being traded by his employer to Tyson Chicken. The thing that made George Costanza so iconic is that he was a loser, a man full of incompetence, a bumbling buffoon who wanted so badly to eke his way through life and magically have movie stars like Marissa Tomei fall in his lap, which she did. She was George's Netflix, and what did he do? Pulled a blockbuster. George's motto in life is summed up in a 10-word phrase he yells out to a woman as she breaks up with him, I'm disturbed, I'm depressed, I'm inadequate, I got it all. George was a defeated failure week in and week out, and what was his fate? doing time in the Latham County Prison. He did not succeed. He did not prosper. He did not find his great white buffalo. He worked hard for his deficiencies and never got to climb his figurative Mount Rushmore. And that's the ultimate fate that tanking will do to anyone. They will be a loser for life. So Miami Dolphins, go ahead and tank this season and next season and the season after that, hoping that your football savior will fall into your lap. And while you're at it, change your team's slogan. Tank for Tua is too specific for just one player. Give up for George is something you can use for decades to come. Thank you for listening to Brand Spanking New. We'll definitely be back next week, unlike the playoff chances for the Boston Red Sox this year, which that ship really sailed a long time ago.